0: Like the L.A. thing, too? Or had it not yet started?
1: As far as people moving out here?
0: Yeah, for to pursue entertainment.
1: Uh, let me think. I didn't really meet most of other cast members until after my show was obviously over with. And I know several people from my cast moved out here, including Jason, one of my roommates. He ended up working for Buna Murray Production and became a wow. casting agent. So, like, he casted the Hawaii cast.
0: To, that was such a quick turnaround, then, because he yeah, went from yeah. just cast member to then I'm casting. Oh boy,
1: member. yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically.
0: Got to wonder how he, like, got up into the ranks that fast, huh? <laughs> I
1: don't know. I think now he – have, have if we talk all the time, I think he owns his own casting agency now, so he casts for other reality shows as well.
0: Oh, Wow. Yeah. That is pretty neat. Did you have like any type of TV aspirations as far as like, you know, I want to do this and that's what led you to kind of want to audition?
1: I don't, not particularly. Um, if I ever, if the times I ever thought that I might want to get into the entertainment industry, it was more as um, I would love to have been like a host for like some sort of entertainment show but never, like, acting has never been. I've tried to act. I'm absolutely fucking horrible at it. You <laughs> <I> never want to see me act, so that, that was never a thing with me. I knew from the beginning that I would suck at it, so, um, yeah, no.
0: No, did you watch reality TV?
1: I watched a little bit of the New York season of The Real World. This was when I was, like, I think I was probably 16 at the time, um, and I never really watched it after that, so I ended up applying for my own show just because I happened to be home from work one day and the Miami uh, season was rolling and you know how they used to do they might still do marathons where they run it like all day long nonstop. Um, and I just happened to catch like they put the thing on the screen that said if you're interested in being on this show you know send in a videotape of yourself and I thought it was all just like meant to be so I applied and that's how I ended up getting on and crazy enough I've only seen my own show once I've never seen it again since 1997
0: um and, that, and That's I, another popular thing too. I hear a lot of people once they get it done, they're like, "I'm not watching this." Thing. I know,
1: and it's just mortifying. The whole thing is just mortifying to watch yourself. So yeah, I saw it once. That's that's all I ever needed to see.
0: <laughs> so, was, was that what it was for you? Just the natural thing of you know, it's like a human instinct. You don't enjoy hearing yourself talk. Like if you yeah. see yourself back, you're like, "Why does my voice sound like that?" Or like, "Why do I look like that?" Was that what it was, or was there anything else particular that you were like, "Yeah, I don't know, you see this."
1: I think it was it was a combination of things. First, I'm just the type of person. I don't like pictures of myself. I think I look hideous in every single photograph. You know, like you said, I hate my own voice. I hate the way I look on camera. But then when you go through an experience like that and you. You watch yourself on TV and you see yourself from other people's perspective. And it's unfortunate because, as we all know, I don't know what reality TV is like today, but back then, even though it was un- it's unscripted TV, it's still kind of very heavily edited, so it's not really reality. Um, so when you go through the experience and then you watch it, it's just, it's hard to watch because you, all you're doing is criticizing the episode or the TV, Either you're criticizing yourself, you're criticizing the way a certain story was portrayed because you know it was you know inaccurate or important bits and pieces maybe hit the cutting room floor and didn't make it in like you would have hoped that they would have. Um, just stuff like that. It's very, it's hard to watch it without being hypercritical,
0: right? Like it, it's more of like a, I'd say maybe a frustrating thing because if maybe something that you did, like let's just say in real time three weeks prior, and then it gets put into a separate context, and it's like you kind of like cringe, and then you're like, why is that happening? That <laughs> type true. of thing.
1: Like one episode, you can see because you lived it that it's not chronological order. Like in one 22 minute episode, you'll see something that maybe happened in April put in together with a conversation that happened in February. And I should have known that that was the way it was going to be like, because part of our contract, there was a clause in there that we can't change our appearance. So you can't like dye your hair, you can't cut your hair, anything like that, because that would disturb the editing process. And that should have been a red flag number one, you know, (laughs) that they were going to end up taking bits and pieces together. I mean, it is a TV show. They're trying to tell, you know, like a certain storyboard. So naturally they would do that. But, you know, you're not really prepared for that until you actually watch it. And you're like, no, that is not the way that that happened. Or that happened months apart from that. Um, Taking totally out of context. But, you know, it's entertainment. It's not a documentary.
0: (laughs) The the scariest part is it probably wasn't even – at its peak in terms of, you know, putting things out of chronological order at that time, because I'd say you were still during that era in which it was more documentary style, right? Like you guys were just kind of like living and breathing, so to speak, and they were just filming like everything you're doing. Whereas I think, um, I mean, you probably don't tap into it all the time, but I would say like reality TVs, the genre has kind of changed and evolved so much to where it's like, now there's like a clear, I think agenda where they want you to act a certain way. And more so gearing towards like wild and party type behavior now. Whereas you guys, it wasn't really like that.
1: No, for the most part, we did pretty much anything that we wanted to do. And we said anything that we wanted to say. So we would just, you know, get up in the mornings. You'd have to call downstairs after you like took a shower and you were ready to get dressed so they can come and put your mic pack on you. And you wore that microphone all day long until it was time to go to bed. And then the PA would have to come upstairs and take your mic pack off. Um, and there were stationary cameras around the house. So they're capturing you all the time. And then, of course, you have the separate, you know, camera crew where they have the audio guy and stuff. They're following you around and they were pretty much doing their best to be just to fly on the wall and just to watch you and listen to you and just try to capture anything that they could uh, while they were doing that. And it was even one of the rules and might still be that you we weren't even allowed to communicate or talk to any of the crew members with the yeah, exception so other directors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they don't want any type of interaction whatsoever.
0: That's what they call the fourth wall. <laughs> if you look at the camera, you break the fourth wall. Yeah. So they were pretty lenient with you guys as far as like what you could do. like, did you guys have any curfews or like any strict policies aside from that?
1: Yeah, we had a curfew and I can't remember if it was 3 a.m. or 4 a.m., but our filming process was 22 weeks. Um, so you're talking like five and a half months and you were only allowed to spend, I think, if I remember correctly, it was maybe five nights away in total and if you broke your curfew they they consider that to be one of the nights out so you had to be oh, very wow. careful i mean we are all like we're 21 years old we're partying we're out in the clubs until they close at 3 a.m so a lot of us many weekends were trying to make sure that we got home by our curfew that way we wouldn't be docked a day because that would take away from our i guess vacation time because some of mm-hmm. us like i went home for my 21st birthday and i i clocked i kept my days so i could go down there for the full five days then you had people like Cyrus, who was out all night long, all the time. And like, he would come in sometimes <laughs> at 4.30 and get in trouble. <laughs> you know? um, and uh, I think other than that, I mean, there were times where we wouldn't we weren't allowed to go to certain places because we had to give the crew our itinerary every single morning because they would usually have to call ahead to those places, such as the restaurants and get permission to film there and sometimes restaurants were really cool about it and then sometimes they just didn't want that type of drama in their business establishment so if they wouldn't allow the camera crew to come in then we had to change our plans and we weren't allowed to go because they needed to be with us you know at all times so in that respect i guess there were a couple of times where we had to not necessarily live our lives normally we had to pretty much pick places that allowed filming
0: Did Boston give you guys a tough time, like the place itself, like people and stuff? Because I hear other cities get a little rowdy when it comes to the real-world cast.
1: They um, They weren't particularly happy that we were there. And in our neighborhood, specifically Beacon Hill, which is a really beautiful upscale neighborhood in Boston, they didn't want that type of, I guess, project going on in their neighborhood because they knew that we were just a bunch of kids, you know, living on their street. I think even one of the uh, senators from Massachusetts had a house on our street. You know, it was very kind of what are the odds <laughs> quiet and, you know, residential and uh, yeah. So we got a hard time. And then we also had problems where a lot of the gossip magazines there, like we had our trash stolen multiple times. So they could <laughs> dig through our trash and try to read like any, because we didn't have email back then. Everybody was sending like old school, you know, like handwritten letters and cards to family members and friends back and forth. And so they would try to dig through our trash and we would see them too. Like our crew would watch our trash sometimes and we'd see somebody come by and pick it up, try not to be conspicuous and then walk down the street. And then you would see uh, like the crew come down from downstairs, like running their asses down the street to try to get our trash back, which I thought was pretty entertaining for us to watch.
0: <laughs> That's some next level. Uh, it's just freaking
1: <laughs> weird. Yeah.
0: How would you say the reception was? Cause obviously social media had not yet existed but I would I say that like <laughs> when people are identifying like LGBTQ cast members that they could like sympathize with and relate to, I'd say you're one of the more recognizable ones. Um, how would you say like your reception was coming off this thing? Were you met with mostly positive reactions or did you get uh some maybe not so nice reactions here and there?
1: I think overall I got really positive reactions. Um you know, my family wasn't too happy about me being out while I was on the show,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, but I didn't know of any other way to be other than being myself. So there were some repercussions there just with like my own personal family members because they were still kind of having a hard time, you know, with me being out of the closet because I'd only been out like for a couple of years. It was still fresh for them at least. Um, But as far as the general public, I think it was a pretty great reception. You know, I did a lot of traveling as most of us did at that time to different colleges and universities speaking. To like uh, gay youth groups to student bodies teaching them about diversity and inclusion and you know uh, our experience was very similar to a lot of college students when they first moved to their dorm room you're put into a situation where you're living with total strangers and you have to learn you know how to get along with each other uh, and you end up going through this you know great growth period so in that respect a lot of colleges related to our experience being you know thrown into a mix so we spoke a lot about that and it was Fabulous. I mean, it was really great. Like everybody was just so wonderful about it. Um, I think the only negative reception I usually got was from my own gay community of gay women. They had a little bit of a hard time because when I was on the show, I was in a relationship for half of the show. And then when I wasn't in a relationship, I was just, you know, I was open to all things. I was really into drag queens. I was really into drag culture. Um, I think they dedicated like an entire episode to that. And uh, there were just some women out there that had a hard time with me because of that. They didn't think I was either a real lesbian or there were people sometimes that they didn't believe that it wasn't scripted. So sometimes they actually thought I was just playing a character and they,
0: didn't,
1: yeah, they didn't think that I was actually gay. Um, so there was that. But that that was the minority, like by and large, vastly, everybody was fantastic.
0: So what, it was like maybe a thing of they felt like you maybe weren't like the right representation of like what they stand for or something yeah, like
1: that? maybe, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had a hard time dating, you know, when I came off the show because um, back then, like the climate in 1997, you, nobody even liked the term bisexual back then. Mm-hmm. Like if you were bisexual, you were almost discriminated against within your gay community um which of course it's not like that today like more people are so much more open today about you know people just loving people for who they are and none of the rest of it uh matters but I guess because I was like really into drag queens and drag culture some of the some girls just were like well you maybe aren't a real lesbian and maybe you know us going out to dinner or going on a date probably isn't going to work out in the long run so why bother you know I had to constantly keep Explaining myself, I guess as a lot of gay people do like the coming out process is lifelong. It never stops You're constantly coming out to people mm-hmm. Um and trying to answer their questions and make everybody feel comfortable. Um But yeah, so that was that Did well, you it was.
0: <laughs> Yeah, did you want to like break away from maybe being like seen or known publicly as much for a while with maybe wanting to like step away from the spotlight at all?
1: Yeah, I think I think I did um there wasn't social media back then, but we had, you remember like AOL? Do you ever use yeah, yeah. like, like the message boards and the chat rooms? People are vicious. <laughs> like when they, they can be so mean. I mean, as we all see now on social media, people, man, they do not hold back. They will rip you to shreds. And at least back then, we, you know, we didn't have Facebook or Instagram or anything, but we had those chat rooms. And so many of us were going into those chat rooms, which was a huge mistake. And we were just reading all of like the nasty comments that people would make. And part of me was like, my God, this is part of being in the public eye, like you're putting yourself out there to be just railed and ripped to shreds by complete strangers. And that's very difficult, you know, because, you know, you hear a bunch of compliments, but the one thing you're going to remember is that one, like, negative thing that somebody said about you, and you can't let that go. It really takes down the self-esteem. So it took me a while to realize that I needed to stay away from the message boards. But that alone, I'm like, God, like, I don't want to ever sign up for that again. It took me a couple of years to even agree to go on an All-Stars challenge because I kept saying no, because I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be back on TV anymore. Um, Fortunately, I changed my mind. I ended up going to Jamaica to do the All-Stars Battle of the Sexes, which was an amazing experience. But uh, it took took a, a long time, I guess, to sort of deprogram myself in order to be able to put myself back out there.
0: So did you think that you were affected at all mentally from your time on the show or Oh,
1: totally. <laughs> like I still think I have some PTSD. Because yeah. I keep trying to watch the homecoming shows on Paramount Plus. Um, and, and <laughs> I just, like,
0: so much that like you kind of can't yeah,
1: it, like it brings back so much shit, you know, that it's, it's hard to watch. I've only been able to make it through the first couple of episodes of each season. And I'm friends with Danny uh, in real life. So I really wanted to watch his homecoming season for new Orleans, man, I cannot make it past episode three. It almost gives me an anxiety attack because it just takes me back to that time.
0: I'm with you. I, I've had several experiences in my life. Like, like even like well past high school, right? Like if I go back to like the old like auditorium or like school just to for like a sibling graduation, I get like so much like built up like trauma from just being (laughs) in that space at one point in my life, even though I'm no longer there. So, like, I I get where you're coming from in that aspect. Obviously, way different situations. Like, you had to have your life in front of, like, millions of people. But, you know. I I didn't even go to my own high school. I've never been to
1: any of my uh, high school reunions for the same reason. Like, my teenage years were not the greatest. And putting myself back there, it's like reliving the trauma all over again. No thanks.
0: (laughs) How did you get tapped into the um, drag scene, I guess you can call it?
1: when I first came out, I really didn't know any other, uh, gay people. And my first girlfriend was somebody that I, I had been working with. So I met her at work and she's like, she's like, we got to get you, you know, out there. You've got this whole new community. And I'm like, yes, I want to like see what it is all about. So, and, you know, since Gulfport, Mississippi, there was only one gay bar, maybe two at most in that entire area. So we ended up going out one night and she was like, you're going to love this. It's so much fun. There's going to be a drag show. Um, you know, let's just, it was at midnight. She's like, if you can stay awake, then let's watch this drag show. I'm like, okay. So I saw the drag show and it's just, I thought it was so fantastic. You know, I think it's, there's so much fun. Um, watching somebody have that much confidence to be on the stage in general, I think it's just so fantastic. And I just thought that, I don't know, it was just so much fun. I just loved the hair and the makeup and the the clothes and the shoes and I just ended up becoming friends with one of the um, MCs at, which was a drag queen at my local gay bar. And I just felt very comfortable like in that environment. I just loved being around them. I don't know if you've ever hung out with drag queens before. They're fucking amazing. (laughs) They just (laughs) have the best personalities. Um, So funny, so much life. And I just sort of stuck with that. And so when I got to Boston, the first thing I did was I started scoping out like, drag clubs or drag shows so I could go hang out and take my roommates and everybody could have a good time you know watching the show and it just sort of grew from that
0: yeah you found the loophole you're way ahead <laughs> of your time when it came to like finding like the internet stuff as far as like the the message boards and stuff
1: oh my god and I guess it comes to nobody's surprise now that I'm a front-end website developer that's what I've been doing, <laughs>
0: in oh, doing? Right. Wow. yeah
1: so it's like yeah, one thing led to another but God, the internet back in 97 was like nothing. There was nothing, bare bones. I don't even know what browser people were using. I couldn't even figure out email. Like nobody knew what email was.
0: Yeah, then you guys have pagers and stuff? Is that what it was?
1: We had alphanumeric pagers. <laughs> you know, there were no cell phones back then. And so we uh, had to wear those around all the time too. So if uh, for some reason, like a camera crew or a director couldn't find us, we would get paged nonstop all day long having to go to pay phones to check in.
0: Mm. What would be like typically the first response that something or someone would say to you, like if they run into you, let's just say at, like a supermarket or like a local store? What would be like uh, a typical uh, thing that they would say?
1: Oh god! First, they're uh, they're like, "Oh my god, are you Genesis Real World?" And you know what's funny is because my name is so unique that sometimes yeah. if they think they might recognize me but they're not quite sure, as soon as they find out my name, like especially at a restaurant. Um, then it's usually the dead giveaway. Um, but the, I think the most common question is always, is it really real? Like that seems to be most people's number one question.
0: That's a misconception. Why do you, I'll ask you this. Like, why do you feel like people assume that it isn't real?
1: Maybe because sometimes the craziness that they're watching, like you don't want to believe that somebody would actually like do or say, you know, certain things that they have. Um, I mean, my guess is that's usually what it is, uh, because they just can't even believe like what they're looking at. Um, and it's probably very hard for a lot of people to comprehend why you would even put yourself in that position to begin with, Mm -hmm. because it, it's hard. I mean, it's very hard. I ended up like talking about it in therapy years after the fact, because Mm -hmm. having your privacy stripped away voluntarily like that, uh, it takes a toll on you. And we're not filming for a couple of weeks. We're filming for like almost six months. So that's a lot day in and day out to have like, because again, no cell phones, which means that all of our phones were tapped. So you have your conversations being listened to. You're wearing a mic. So you're personally being listened to constantly, including when you go to the restroom, you know, you got stationary cameras watching you. You got uh, mobile cameras following you around. And somehow you get used to it. It's just the weirdest phenomenon. Like it only took a couple of weeks before, you seem to like kind of forget that all of that's going on and it's maybe it's because you're looking at the same faces, you know, every single day, it was always the same camera guy or the same audio guy. And you just are in this like almost co-living situation that you just somehow become accustomed to. I mean, it's almost mind blowing when you think about it.
0: Yeah. It it must've been a culture shock then. Well I hear from a lot of people it is like as far as returning from the shows himself, because after living like under those, like, super tight conditions for such a long period of time. And then once you go back into your old normal, you're just, you don't even know like how to react.
1: No, it was really weird. It was very isolating. Mm -hmm. In some ways it's very lonely because you're used to having a group of people around you, you know, all the time. And because you're wearing a cordless mic, like I think maybe there was even one episode where I was in the house by myself and I wanted to order a pizza And I didn't know where to find the phone book because phone books were still a thing back then. And so I was talking into my mic and I'm like, where is the phone book? Like, I'm so hungry, I wanna order a pizza. And I like went downstairs, came back upstairs and magically there's a phone book sitting at the desk that I was sitting at because somebody heard me got my phone book for me. And you're used to, I guess, maybe in some ways as, as freaky as it is to have somebody watching you and listening to you the whole time, it's almost comforting at the same time that you know that you're never alone. And when you lose that, my dog's barking. Yeah, it's okay. Um, <laughs> he, sees, he sees somebody mowing their lawn, great. Um, it's hard. And also, there are times, dude, hey, I
0: have
1: <laughs> four dogs, by the way. Four, wow. Yeah. Um, and the only place in our house where we could get in privacy was the bathroom. So I got used to going to the bathroom to be able to read a book and stuff. And I was still doing that when I came home to Mississippi. It was like I was going to the bathroom without realizing what I was doing just to read a magazine or to read a book.
0: Yeah. Mississippi, I hear, because that's in the South, correct?
1: Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: my wife is getting the dogs for me. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, we're talking like the deep, deep South, like the heart of the Bible Belt, deep South.
0: So so that's like a must have been a tough, uh, tough navigation, I guess, with um, being from the LGBTQ community.
1: It was. And uh, I didn't stay in Mississippi when I came back um, off the show in Boston. I went home for like a couple of months just to sort of get my fares in order. And then after that, I pretty much jetted and I moved to uh, Orlando, Florida, which I ended up living there with, ironically, a friend that I met while I was living in Boston. So oh. who like barely ever was on camera, but we ended up becoming really good friends um he's like girl I'm moving to Orlando because I got a job at Disney I'm like good because I'm like so out of here I can't stay in Mississippi anymore <laughs> so I ended up living there for a little while before I relocated Los Angeles
0: I also heard that you kept touch with I think maybe a few of the kids that you guys had to watch at the um daycare that you guys were working at
1: yeah there was a couple of them that have found me through social media one of which I'm friends with on Facebook and then another girl uh, ended up finding me on Instagram which has been really cool to be able to like oh my god like what happened like where'd you go to college do you have kids now which you know they all are like married now and um it's been nice to you know and to see what turned out from them and i'm not the only one there are several of the people from my cast that are still in touch with like certain Mm -hmm. kids um that were with us at the after school program
0: well hopefully not montana for their sake
1: (laughs) (laughs) poor montana
0: (laughs) <laughs> she, she'll she never hear the end of that.
1: No, she won't. She'll never let it down.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I think there was the one scene when you guys actually were watching those kids. Didn't one of them tell you that they weren't going to be able to watch the show or their families weren't going to be able to watch the show because of how you identified?
1: They were talking about um, this was the year that Ellen DeGeneres came out of the closet on her sitcom. Mm -hmm. And none of the kids at the after-school program knew anything about my personal life. I kept that like outside of, I guess, I don't want to call it work because we were volunteers, but I kept it outside of that program. Um, And so one of the little girls was talking about how she was no longer going to be able to watch the Ellen show because her parents weren't going to let her anymore because they didn't want her exposed to somebody who was gay. And she was telling me that of obviously not knowing that I was gay. So I, I ended up becoming very upset about it. And Camila ended up sort of taking control of the situation for me and used it as a teaching moment um, for the little girl, uh, basically trying to tell her, you know, teach her a little bit about discrimination. And she made a comment to the little girl saying, I know somebody that you know that's gay and you really like them a lot. Because this little girl and I were kind of close. She was one of the one of the kids that were, I pretty much like did all her projects with her and helped her with her homework most days. Um, And I started crying about it and I went to the bathroom because I didn't want her to see me crying because then I didn't want to have to tell her while I was crying and you don't want to upset children, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that scene ended up becoming like the big scene for a lot of people.
0: It's like one of the pillars. Yeah, yeah,
1: because you, you know, we know that kids are being taught to discriminate. uh, But it's when you like I was personally experiencing it for myself, you know, it was like happening to me in real time with a child that I was very close to. Uh, so it hit hard, you know, for me. And I wasn't able to speak up for myself or to say anything. And in some ways I was sort of scared too, because I didn't want to get in trouble by the staff uh, because Camila and I did get into a little bit of trouble with the staff after the fact.
0: Oh, wow. Why, yeah. why was that?
1: Because that was such a sensitive topic mm-hmm. that as staff members, you're not really supposed to have those conversations with kids in the after-school program. Because you don't want to contradict anything that they're being taught at home, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't want to say we got like in trouble, trouble, but there was certainly a conversation that happened after the fact because it wasn't too long before the parents were calling the after-school program, wanting to know what happened, what was said, and you know the little girls being filmed. And personally, I really wish that they probably I feel like they should have blurred her face out for that particular scene because she was a minor, yeah. um, but the parents had previously signed a, a release form and. They knew that was probably going to make it onto the show. So there was that whole shit show going on in the background.
0: Hey, they were hoping their kids were getting them some residuals or something. <laughs> that, that's one of those, I feel, situations where, like, the staff members were like, no, no, no. But then the production crew was like, yes, 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 like, yes. This is perfect for the show. And that's just such a real and, like, raw moment, um, especially back then, to to occur. Um, and those are the type of situations I feel like just in reality TV that aren't like existing anymore because of like how the cultures and the times have just evolved. Like I feel like with social media now playing such a big part, like it, it's almost hard to see like what's like real anymore. If that makes yeah, sense, it's true.
1: And I've even I don't even know what shows I've heard that a lot of reality shows today they kind of are. They're not necessarily scripted because you're not acting, um. But they are. I think you mentioned earlier they are kind of like really predefined now in terms of what. The storylines are going to be for each episode what if like where the vacations you're going to be taking together like all these things are kind of like pre-mapped out Uh,
0: yeah i think i think like they um they do like a better part now of kind of encouraging the cast to like like drink or something like that or like if they're not like doing something over the top they'll be like hey like you know you guys know we are filming a tv show here
1: (laughs) i mean i do watch some reality shows today and i look in the background and i see like 47 bottles of wine and alcohol. <laughs> you know, that's all set up for them, almost like an help yourself open bar. And we're like, yeah, that they know that's a recipe for some good TVs to get everybody um nice <laughs> and drunk.
0: <laughs> Did you have like a coming out story prior to the show? Like was it like a drawn-out process or was it more straightforward with how you came out?
1: I came out my senior year of high school. And I had just met my first girlfriend at work. And so this was all kind of happening simultaneously um, where like we had just started dating like only for a couple of weeks. And I wasn't going to tell anybody in my high school because I was literally just about to graduate in a few months. And I was sitting like out around a bunch of friends and somebody made a comment about, they're like, well, isn't that gay? And I'm like, you know what? I'm gay. So you probably shouldn't say stuff like that in front of me. And everybody was like, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) What did you just say? I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. You guys, I'm gay. I have got a girlfriend. I just started dating at work and spread like wildfire. Like everybody in my high school knew practically within like a couple of hours of what I had just said. And so from there, I basically just sat down with my family. I'm like, this is happening. I got somebody I'm dating and it's not a guy, it's a girl. Um, and it's almost like, everything happened like it was very fast and furious. I think I was so relieved to finally figure out like who I was and um, I was almost very proud of the fact that I had felt so alone for so long and I finally you know, was going through this process of self-discovery and I sort of figured myself out that I was just so happy about it. I didn't understand that nobody else would be happy for me. You know. <laughs> so I was pretty much telling everybody all the time. Um, so it, it really wasn't necessarily drawn out for me and i was like i was just i think it took a lot of pride in telling people that i was gay and i think some of that maybe was for the shock value of it mm. because i wasn't i wasn't what most people would stereotype as you, like your stereotypical gay woman you know whatever that means but everybody seems to have a stereotype and i i liked not fitting into that stereotype uh, when i was telling people I think it was good to educate people and going, you don't judge a book by its cover. Like, you don't, there's no stereotype.
0: What What did you think, like, the stereotype was, like, back then? Like, was it more, like, probably masculine, would you yeah, say? Yeah, like, most people
1: okay. pictured, like a, like, a chick with a mullet cut and a motorcycle. <laughs> you no, know, and that's just nobody I knew was like that. Um, but that was the picture in everybody's mind. Uh, Similar to, I guess, what a lot of people would stereotype, you know, gay men being, they would never think in a million years, like, this amazingly gorgeous, um, I guess, what they would consider to be masculine guy could ever maybe be uh, a gay man. Uh, And it was just sort of like breaking down those walls and those stereotypes at that time. I was very happy to play a role, I guess, in that,
0: so to Mm -hmm. speak. You guys keep pretty good contact, right? Like the cast?
1: Mm -hmm. We all, um, we've seen most of each other since the show. Now, some of that was during the college uh, circuit tours that we were doing, um, where sometimes we would go together as a cast and speak at a college or university Uh, today. There are six of us that we have a we have a group text thread that we go that we have. Um, So we're all constantly, you know, sharing things or chiming in or, you know, happy birthday, you know, like whatever the situation is. So we're all pretty close knit with the exception of Sean. He's the one that's sort of like the outlier. He's not in communication with any of us. He's not part of our group thread. Um, When we were asked to do a homecoming show of our own, we all agreed to it that he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. So um, he's sort of just like, you know, out doing his own thing.
0: Oh, okay. Well, you were on board for the homecoming though, right?
1: I was. I was hesitant in the very beginning. And I think there were a couple of us that still are a little bit traumatized from the first experience. They were like, do you really want to put yourself through that again? Um, But we eventually, you know, came around because we just... Looked at it as an opportunity to get to be together again and hang out, you know, back in our own stomping grounds, Boston, and just, you know, reminisce and be nostalgic. So, in that respect, we were actually looking forward to it. But unfortunately, it didn't happen because Sean, you know, Sean doesn't want to do
0: it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, and like, you like, from an objective standpoint, do you think like uh, it's the right call on his part?
1: Yeah, I do. I think so because. You know, he is a politician. He's looking to, or at least he was at the time, looking to run for another office, uh, I think, in this upcoming uh, midterm election in November. So, you know, you have to take a lot of things into consideration when you're in the public eye like he is because you can't control the way that they're going to edit you. You don't know how you're going to be perceived. Um, So in that respect, all of us completely understand why he would be hesitant to put himself out there like that. Uh, It was just unfortunate that we didn't get to do the show, you know, because of that but it's completely understandable
0: yeah based on like my calculations and you guys probably would have been um the third season had you guys all agreed to do it
1: yeah i think so
0: because if they were going in order then it probably would have been you guys Yeah,
1: i did and um, yeah unfortunately you know obviously they can't go in order because it depends on you know who's available who's not you got the san francisco season who's missing several people so right. they're probably never going to get asked to do it and Because Rachel, you know, Sean's wife is part of that season and she's on Fox News. So for the same reasons as Sean, she would not be interested in doing the show because they don't know, you know, what her portrayal is going to be like. Uh, So, yeah, I guess they're just going through and contacting, you know, and just feeling everybody out and seeing, you know, who's available, who's into it. What would the story be?
0: Yeah, all the hot rumors are flying around now that Miami might be the next one on the market. Apparently they've got all seven, but they haven't got
1: be That would be great. Yeah, that's cool.
0: Yeah. Would you tune into that one?
1: If I could make it past the first couple of episodes without being traumatized. Oh, no. That might draw you (laughs)
0: back. That was one of the first seasons that you watched. So maybe.
1: And New Orleans. Have you seen the New Orleans Homecoming?
0: Yeah, I loved it. (laughs)
1: Okay. (laughs) So, you know, it's like a Julie is like one of the things that I'm having the hardest time because I'm just looking at her going, like, no,
0: (laughs) don't do that.
1: Don't say that.
0: It's 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 definitely a bit polarizing, um, you know, when I have because I told you who I was uh, with yesterday, they mm-hmm. obviously have a much different reaction than I may because it's a little bit more polarizing because they came right around the time when your season was premiering when um, it was more like documentation type of route that the show is going in. Right. Yeah. Whereas like the New Orleans might have a little bit of more spice to it where it might feel less authentic. That's just like me from an objective outside perspective. So I can kind of see where they might be, in terms of their opinions. But yeah, but I mean, one can't deny that it's got something for everybody. I feel though, the <laughs> yeah, homecomings like true. they connect to at least somebody. Yeah. So that's definitely true. How did how did you enjoy your times on the challenges, though? Like, was that something that uh you know? It's I really a point? love them.
1: I love the, the great thing about the challenges is they don't really focus on your personal life. Mm-hmm. and that's what i think i really enjoyed about it the most so when i was uh, doing battle of the sexes one in jamaica i made it toward the end ish which means i was there for pretty much the whole time other than maybe the last five days yeah i really got to enjoy spending my time in jamaica i love meeting new cast members and i love the fact that the show really was more focused on the competitions you know um as opposed to you know our personal life which is what <laughs> you know the real world was about um Battle of the Sexes 2 I ended up being one of the first to be voted home because I was a team captain so I didn't get to spend a whole lot of time there um but by far definitely enjoyed it so much more than filming my actual show
0: oh wow that's an interesting take I hear a lot of people they're (laughs) like oh the original show is my baby and then the spinoff shows are just like eh
1: yeah not me totally opposite love the spinoff shows yeah
0: well, you got into health and fitness, right? So that must have been in your wheelhouse then with the competition stuff, didn't you? Yeah,
1: yeah, I really okay. enjoyed it, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And
1: I've, I've I've, been asked to do the past two challenges, and unfortunately I had to turn them down because of scheduling. I just had like pre-existing like trips and vacations and stuff. But definitely if they were to ask me again, I would love to do it because I'm really into like that type of like physical Challenge or give me a good reason to get back in
0: shape. <laughs> oh, the, the ones they're doing now on Paramount yeah. Plus. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. All right. So for those that are holding out hope that we'll see Genesis on a channel are <laughs> <every> watching <laughs> this, they're gonna be like, yeah. yes, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. But uh thank you again for taking the time out to do this. I'm sure. uh, very glad that we were able to connect, and I had a fun time chatting with you. Maybe going back down the rabbit hole a little bit on some <laughs> old times. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 But thank you for having me.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Have a great rest of your day.
1: You too.
0: Bye.